Namaste. So as part of the 150th year of Sri Aurobindo's birth, we start another series on writings of Sri Aurobindo. <clears throat> I personally feel a lot of celebrations are going on, movies are being made and many things are happening. The ideal way to celebrate Sri Aurobindo's year is just try to... Um, be a living example of his teachings. Now that's obviously a very tall order. It's not easy even to be, you know, one percent, a smallest fraction of that. Some people who just observe the life of Sri on the surface believe that if they withdraw into silence, not silence, silence is not synonymous with solitude or seclusion. Silence is an inner state. But some people believe that if they withdraw into seclusion, into solitude, they are becoming an example. But that's not the example at all that Shurabindo would want us to. When someone asks Shurabindo that I, I am thinking of, you know, uh, segregating and withdrawing myself into seclusion, what do you have to say? Shurabindo says it's most likely going to lead you to dropping off your mind whatever little is left. So, uh, because silence is very powerful to start with. And uh, there are two kinds of seclusion. One is the seclusion of the weak, because the world contact is too much to bear. Most people do not enter into contact with the world because they are too weak to bear the impact of the world. They cannot wrestle with the immense world forces. But there is another kind who, having wrestled and conquered, conquest is not just outer, but inwardly con conquered all the fear, all the dangers, all the difficulties and challenges. Whether they win or lose is not the issue. And then they withdraw into a mightier state. So that silence is a mighty state of the soul. It's not, it's pregnant with the birth of infinity. In Shurabindu's yoga, it is required only from time to time, if at all. But otherwise, the yoga has to be done in contact with the world. So we see that state of Shurabindu that he withdrew, but withdrew to enter into a larger and more powerful kind of action than the world had ever known. So, but this is one way that best way to pay our homage is to follow the line of yoga that Shurabindo has revealed for us. But before we can follow the yoga, there is something else which is required or at least is required at the same time. And that's what Shurabindo says that among the four aids that are given to on the path of yoga, one of them is Shastra. So, there is the guide, the master who dwells within us. There is the Shastra which is also within us. And then there is the disciple, his effort. The effort that he puts in, but more than the effort, the aspiration. That's why very often it is said, right kind of effort. Uh, it's not just effort. I, one may sit in meditation for eight hours, but that doesn't mean effort. So there is the right kind of effort. And then there is Kal, the agency of time. So this Shastra is essentially the eternal Veda, which is seated within the heart of man. And it opens normally through life experiences. So when we go through lives, we have these experiences through which a truth awakens inside. And it takes shape and form in some kind of language. And uh, very often they are strand, some, some bit of lamp of wisdom, a little ray, a little light that we catch and gather as our real treasure, which goes from life to life. But it's difficult. Again, not easy. Because we are living so much on the surface that we cannot really come in contact with, even with this eternal Veda which is secret inside the heart of man. But there have been, fortunately for us, and the compassion and grace of those who have gone beyond us, 
who have entered into the inner heart, inmost heart and opened this Veda and read its book. Or they have climbed above the silence and got the secret word, the word which is the origin of things. And out of immense compassion, they have brought it down to us and given it to earth and man. The least we can do is to read it. Whether we understand or not is the second step. But the fact that we read it is, one, we come in contact with the consciousness of the one who has written it. So that's the minimum. So when we read a verse from the uh, Gita, the Upanishad, and of course Sri Aurobindo's writings, then we come in contact with the consciousness of Sri Aurobindo and the mother, which is the minimum. And this minimum is actually maximum because by coming in contact with their consciousness, we actually begin to change. So it's the simplest and easiest and direct of ways. And that's why Shurabindo gave all these uh, wonderful works. Of course, at one level, one can use the word Swanta Sukhaya, which is one of the most misunderstood terms. So very often you will see people quoting, he wrote these works for his own joy. Yes, but that joy he is sharing with all. So if he wanted to just dwell in that ananda, there was no need to write. So yes, out of his own joy in the sense, it is not written to create an effect. It is not written with the idea that if I publish this book, those people, so many people will be helped. None of these motives, the egoistic motives which operate in normal human beings is operating there. It is a um, coming emergence from the depths of the ananda, of that light which he has seen. But why is he sharing it? So that all of us can at least take a dip into that ananda, take a sip from that ananda. Maybe if uh, little fortunate we can swimming in the ananda and if we are very very fortunate drown in that ananda. So that's why he has given this work. It is also very amazing that you know first time as far as uh, I know that uh, the work of an avatar has been written in this way. And then yes the last century has seen certain masters who have spoken and their speech and their writings have been uh, put across in book form. But the beauty of Sri writing is that if we really closely take a look, there is not one aspect of life which has been left untouched. And it has been seen from every possible angle. And that's one reason why when we dip into Sri uh, writings, one of the first challenges that we find, at least in the, you know, some of those works like the Arya is that there are long sentences and people often wonder, they find it very difficult. Actually, the writings are not difficult. So, where is the difficulty? To use a little, um, in a humorous vein, when somebody told me, I have a headache. So, I said, yes, because there is a head, there is headache. So, if there is no head, there is no headache. Meaning, sir, why that this head? So, when we approach Shurabindo, we approach him with, all kinds of conceptions. For instance, oh, we are going to read a spiritual book. So we have this idea of spiritual book that he will start with Om Garudaya Nama, Om this. Actually, people used to tell me, you know, Dr. Sab, you speak very well, but you must start by saying Hari Om. So I, actually, I couldn't help but laugh. And it was very um, inappropriate laughter, I quite admit. But this is the kind of stuff on which we have lived. That, you know, it's... Or if it is God's writing, it must begin at least with a mantra and that mantra has to be a, you know, conventional, typical that I am used to. Now, 
If a Chinese has to utter a mantra, he will not use the word Om. He is likely to use the word Dao. It's a mantra for him. For a Christian mystic, he may just use the word Lord. That's a mantra for him. Mantra is anything that connects us to the divine. So, all of Shubindu's writings are mantric. But it's not mantric in the sense, the way we understand a mantra, that okay, uh, it must be all in Sanskrit. Uh, it's God's wish. He may use any language and he will use the language. Language is a tool. And he will use the language which is accessible to all most readily. So some people say yes, but there are inherent langu- uh, you know, limitations in English language compared to let us say uh, Sanskrit and even French. Well, there are, but we should not forget, but anything in the hands of God can be uplifted to what heights. And I remember that example of uh, Shri Krishna when Bhishma is, you know, about to kill Arjuna. Arjuna is unarmed. At that time, of course, Arjuna has not used the divine weapons. Otherwise, Bhishma would not stand a chance. So, but suddenly Krishna stands between them. So he says, but you are unarmed. What will you fight with? He says, the whole Srishti is my uh, manifestation. He picks up the wheel and that wheel becomes the Sudarshan Chakra. So, meaning thereby when Shurvindu uses a language, it's not about the language, it's about the user. It's not that Krishna will play only a particular flute, then only it will work. He can use anything and make it his divine flute. So, this is one part about the usage of English, why he has used English and I think... um, it is so beautiful that it is so readily available to us. Also, we shouldn't forget that the Sanskrit that was used in those days and the Sanskrit as it has evolved, Shubhinder has written so extensively on Sanskrit. He was a master philologist. I mean, he has given a new key. Uh, and who gave him the new key for the Sanskrit? Sri Krishna himself. He gave him the new Nirukta, the grammar. But even to decipher Sanskrit, you have to go and you see sometimes the discussion that goes on just a Sanskrit word. You know what it means? You know what that means? Now the beauty of Sri he picks up any word. He's like a master artist. So he picks up any word, the most common word. If you go to the dictionary meaning, you will get a very strange sense. But when he uses it, he changes the entire sense. And I give this example often. In nature's instruments, loiters secret God. Look at the word loiter, read it in dictionary. The word is aimlessly wandering. So it looks like not a very good word. When you say, why are you loitering here? So it's like negative. But when Shurabindu uses it, in nature's instruments, loiters, secret God. He's just moving around here, there. And suddenly he meets you. There is the joy of the unexpected at any turn. Because he's there, in, built in the fabric of life. So Shurabindu's words carry such a tremendous, profound sense. Sense within sense. And very often when we use a dictionary, we lose their meaning. Another aspect is, as I have said, he uses long sentences. Why? Because he talks about a thing from several angles. It's like a person who sees Himalaya from here, he will describe it one way. Who sees from another side, another side, fourth side, all sides will describe it in different ways. Even one peak one who sees from far, one who sees near, one who has actually climbed the Himalayas. So, Shurabindu is like somebody who is describing us sometimes the same vision, but from all possible angles because that is the only way that language can conjure the infinite. There is no other way. 
Because you are describing the one who is all sides and everywhere and yet transcends that. Take for example, in collected poem, there is a poem called Parbrahman. So how does Sri describe? He says, he is, we cannot say. Nor he is not. For nothing too is a conception of himself unguessed. So what is that he is saying? He is and he is not is a kind of conception we build around the divine. Only we can know him by identifying him. So this is the, because the moment it said it's nothingness. So we have a conception of nothingness. Oh, nothing. No thing. But nothing is not no thing. Nothing is a state that no human language, no human perception, no human conception can ever, ever speak or describe about it. It doesn't correspond to anything that the mind can ever perceive or experience. That's why when one enters that state, one is in a state of susupti. And people, we may use the word samadhi, but it's susupti. Where we have gone into a deep sleep and we come out, we say, oh, it was so wonderful. But what did you see? What did you experience? Well, can't speak about it. We don't know. Shobindu goes into these realms where yogis with great trepidation, with great effort have had a glimpse but he enters those realms in a waking state and brings back all these treasure houses for us. So this is the second thing we find in these books. A lot of books have been spoken about God and many will be of course written. But uh, he brings those treasures which have never been seen. And I can say this having really read, dwelt into many of these books. Now what is the one subject if one has to speak about, what is that one subject? One subject that Shurabindu is speaking through all these volumes. So people will name transformation, evolution. This He is speaking of only God, God, God and God. It's so beautiful. How is he speaking? He is speaking about the God as the divine existence above. He is speaking about God in his cosmic manifestation. He is speaking about God in his most material form. He is speaking about God who is hidden within life. He is speaking about the entire, through evolution of consciousness, God expressing himself. Everywhere, it's nothing else but the glory of God. So sometimes I think that, you know, there are places where Sri Krishna is halted in the Gita. Why? Because time is short. That's one example, reason that I really believe Gita was given on the battlefield. <laughs> Sri Krishna is sometimes in a hurry. And he suddenly bypasses something which is no more necessary. Like he says, the yogins who strive to master old age, disease, death are the greatest. But that's not the issue right now. <laughs> right now. So after saying that, he inspires Arjuna to ask another question. So Arjuna goes on to that and he takes off from there. Or one place where he says that in the Vibhuti Yoga, this is my ansha, I am this, I am this, I am this. At the end he says... You know, Arjuna, countless are my manifestations. I can't speak of all of them. But obviously, he waited for his coming as Sri Aurobindo to speak of all of them. So when we look at the entire range of literature, Sri Aurobindo's literature, there is nothing which is not there. And everything seen from every angle, every little facet. Like, you know, we have those uh, lapse photography, lapse time photography or time lapse time-lapse photography where you see it in small, 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 small clicks all around. And that's why there is a great joy when we read these long sentences. So he would say, as I said, he is nothing and yet he is everything. 
so the mind which is a seeker see there are two kinds of minds one is the samurai mind and the bourgeois mind <laughs> bourgeois mind wants everything explained like a kunji they used to be in medical college everywhere perhaps students who would say ki give me a kunji kunji you know is what kunji is shortcut anatomy they will ask this question how many bones are there tak 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 you remember that's called kunji but they make useless doctors because you know the other is want to understand things so shubindu wants us to dwell to have the joy of it take the very first passage of the life divine the earliest occupation of preoccupation of man in his awakened thoughts you see the qualification now he is speaking of since when is the human aspiration born the moment man began to think and became conscious of the world around him or so it seems because it returns after every period of banishment skepticism and denial it is something which is persistent in the race even when it seems to have vanished still it returns so all this in a one long sentence is qualifying it one after another and then when we read the life divine i mean we'll have all these books major works uh, one one probably dates so we'll touch upon them and then he says are the ones which continues to uh, uh, lead mankind the first formula of wisdom promises to be the last god light freedom immortality all this comes in one one long passage <laughs> and it's so amazing when you read in savitri there is one passage one passage means one line which will run into 32 lines of the one sentence which would run into 32 lines and one of my favorites is when he says that you know he arrived at that state of self so what is that state of self we have heard where there is no duality where the antagonist uh, uh antagonistic ways of understanding oppositions they are harmonized reconciled and the way he describes the the virtue the the um, grace that punishes virtue with defeat like that he describes all that is suddenly understood revealed suddenly before the uh, eye of man the entire the eastras that brings things with great labor and pain entire passage so then he reaches that state where he has found the self so th- this long passages are required because he wants us to enjoy a vision he is not the kind of a tourist guide who takes us says you know this okay 10 minutes description after that he says come come let's go to the other one no 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 we are children we want to understand every small detail and why not so shrubindu's writing is to be enjoyed not to be read with the mind to be understood sometimes we lose that breathtaking vision when we are caught into oh i want to understand this understanding will come as we enjoy he will give us first a breathtaking vision then feel every detail every little then he'll go to the minutiae and then he'll go on to again connect even the smallest with the largest this is the beauty of shubindu's writings and that's why the mother said how is shubindu to be read so very often we categorize the writings into early writings later writings it has its own meaning uh, because well shubindu is not static so shubindu is not like a yogi traditionally i have realized the self now i'll speak of the silence that i have realized shubindu went beyond the silence and whatever he would discover and he would say there is always something to be discovered in the infinite and as he would 
he would keep moving toward the future and as he would move he would bring out new and new things so the mother says if you want to read shorbindo he is best read according to subjects so pick up a subject for instance if one picks up about india so if you read from the early cultural writings there are a lot of things about india then you read in the karmyogin the writings and during the revolutionary period entirely then 1914 onwards what today is the renaissance of india then later on countless letters several places then when you re- read them all then there is a comprehensive vision of what india stands for and of course those who find it difficult i must mention the mother is there to help her so if you ask her in one word so she will say india is meant the guru of the world that summarizes everything <laughs> so she has those you know one liners which will take care of an entire because she is the mother she knows my children are you know difficult to understand so if there is anything complimentary to shirbindu's writings people ask for complimentaries so complimentaries they look out, look for some of those again commentaries now i am not denying that they don't have a place but my suggestion is first if you want to read a commentary on shirbindu's writings not as a commentary but as a complimentary read the mother's writings so it's not like commentary is that there are also like she has taken up some chapters of the life divine some chapters from the synthesis some chapters on the supramental manifestation human cycle many of the major works the mother and she has elaborated on some passages but these passages are enough to give us a entry point into the deeper sense of the book it's not necessary that the entire book should be explained but she has revealed to us and when we uh, see the commentary from her vision it changes so much you you see you take a book like the mother and see people have given commentaries on that of course the life divine read the mother's explanation of some of the passages from the life divine there is so much the it's like a completely a fresh breeze which washes washes away all the cobwebs in the mind and brings in a new light every passage so this is shurbindo he has used yes long sentences but instead of laboring with the mind they are mantric as he says in savitri as when the mantra sings in yoga's ear so the laboring mind tries to understand a meaning of words but afterwards it falls silent in itself to know and then a deeper knowledge awakes so the mother has given an advice for reading shurbindo's writings stay quiet stay quiet people will say it's so difficult ma tell us something easy still say stay quiet if you cannot stay quiet read shurbindo's writings will become quiet that is my addition to it after one passage two passages if one is not accustomed to it one is become quiet and if one read tries to read a little more it is the perfect antidote to insomnia because it's susupti coming from that realm so powerful it stretches the mind into that state that's why you'll see shurbindo's writings when many people because they it's like meditation more than meditation so because meditation you put in effort you may or may not succeed but shurbindo's writings he has brought to the level of the what he called some of the writings early writings he has brought to the level of the higher mind as close as that 
when people asked him why don't you make it simpler of course there are many simpler writings in letters on yoga so shobindo said i have brought it so near so that you put in some effort strain yourself so when we try to stretch towards that ordinary normally for a yogin the thoughts must stretch towards infinity towards till they enter into that state of silence but that's difficult for us so when we start reading it stretches 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 from mind to higher mind then some of them it takes us step by step so entire range of writing we'll see taking us from step by step in his own way giant steps but step by step there is another very interesting thing about shrivindu's writings in at least now i'm speaking of the works in the arya because they were written in a journalistic style so you will see that the end of a chapter he will kind of give us a summary and at the beginning of the next chapter he will start by uh, summarizing what has already gone by so that we can proceed toward the future it's an amazing way even if we read these two it opens a new door because he is summarizing for us and then taking us to the next level so this is all these writings are mantrik because if we get rid of that idea that mantra has to be in this language or that language what really is mantra shobindo reveals to us he says even ordinarily word has power so human speech has two levels which are revealed and two which are hidden so why is speech important we think just to communicate but speech is that faculty to which the vedic rishis gave great importance speech is the faculty through which we can bring down the original vibration stir with which creation began so that's how the whole nad brahma so nad brahma is you know that state of the first stir so you climb through sounds to that level where there is the first stir of creation now that is that stir is not necessarily that you know we use the word om but and it's very powerful because of various reasons that i'll probably talk about in the uh, when we speak about the mantra but essentially human speech is an effort to catch that highest vibration shobindo is not just communicating to us the way we talk to each other that vibration he is wanting to embody through human speech and it can be done it's a pity that we don't have a recording of shobindo's speech and perhaps for that reason the mother graciously allowed her speech to be recorded it's the same vibration so that vibration is caught in a body of sound and words what really is speech speech is a truth which is captured in a body of sound and words and both are important so as i said he has played like a master artist with these words which just bring in that highest rhythm so as we go higher and higher speech assumes a very rhythmic quality and you will see it in human life also the sign of a truly you want to know cultured man don't go by his dress don't go by all the outer degrees qualification just see how he speaks because that speech will show up and you will see that when people become very crude the speech begins to become vulgar more and more but the sign of being cultured is your speech carries in it a kind of beauty a kind of refinedness a power a rhythm a truth substance and 
as we go higher and higher, the speed begins to become rhythmic. That rhythmic possibility, highest possibility of speech, Shubhendra describes, is the mantra. Highest level to which speech can be uplifted. So just as they have uplifted everything to highest levels, they have uplifted speech to the very highest. And then when they manifested it in life, it is the mantra. And how is this mantra revealed? It is revealed to the seer. Because he has gone beyond the ordinary boundaries within which thought moves. How does our thought moves? If you observe the mechanism of thought, I am not speaking of those thoughts which are 90% turned around. Oh, it was such a lovely meal and then there is elaborate description about that meal. No, not that thought. Or about a person. People love to, you know, spend half an hour discussing a human being. Most useless. It helps nobody, it harms only. But I am speaking about that if you take up anything and through thought try to understand it, there is a pure thought which can try to understand what is this world. And it will start with cognitive experiences, perceptions of the world. Then you go deeper and deeper. The thought will reach a point where it will say, I don't know, a simple thought like space, what is space? And it should be done. It's a beautiful exercise. What is time? Ever wondered what is time? Everybody speaks. So what is the time? This is the time. What is time? How time came into existence? Does time move only forward? It's amazing. Is there an end of time? Is there a beginning of time? All these things are amazing. Just leave aside every book because the Shastra is within. If you raise the right questions, doors after doors will open. So what did the seers do? They did precisely this. There is this question, what is behind this universe? And they went deeper and deeper and deeper like that famous um, Upanishad that, you know, behind matter there is life, behind life there is mind, behind mind there is this super mind and beyond is Ananda, the causal and then the Ananda. So they went and when they discovered something, something happened. That discovery was luminous, radiating, full of glory. Full of those subtlest vibration, that powerful vibration with which creation came into existence. And that they captured in a body of sound and words. The Gita puts it very beautifully. Full of wonder and surprise. So many are very happy with that. They come and tell you the way you can also have the wonder. But Shurabindu is among those who would say, Imperfect is the joy not shared with all. And the instrument. Look at Shurabindo's instrument. I mean, his studies with his mastery of languages, English, Latin, Greek, French, right before he has come back to India. There he learns Bengali and Sanskrit. And then eventually, 32 languages, Tamil, he has written some of these, translated some of the Tamil poems. Not too many, but there are. So, with somebody like that, with such an instrument, When such an instrument, such a breathtaking vision, such a tremendous lofty aspiration, which has peered through all the secrets. When we read Savitri Book 1, Canto 5, he wants to go beyond than just the void. And then he says, in the void he saw throned the omniscient supreme. And he had that uh, courage, that aspiration, the will not to be satisfied with Half things. So, as he says in Savitri, that you reach that point where world and God become true and one. So, he reached that point. 
the secret UKs. And then he says, the riddle grew plain and sure. The riddle of the world, life, it was all revealed. And that he brings into speech. So, this is his gift of grace to the world. In terms of pure outer information, which is the least interesting part, <laughs> right now you have 36 volumes. Probably another one or two volumes will come, which is mainly index and glossary. There would be other volumes which are on letters, notes, which have been lost, unfortunately, or which has not been given. But these are the main volumes. And one can start from, I personally believe that when you read, read everything available. Why stop with half art? It's such a joy. And also why? Because, see, uh, some people immediately plunge into the life divine. So, my own take on is it that when you, if you ever hear a musician, master musician, and you see a concert, if you suddenly enter when, you know, the high notes are being uh, produced through the instrument, you will feel lost. But when you start from little by little, it's like mood, atmosphere, then you get into a little bit of sync with what he's trying to say. So it's always good to start with this. Maybe letters on yoga if one wants to enter into the yoga or early cultural writings. If that's too much then, you know, karma yogin. These are very nice essays. Essays divine and human. Essays in philosophy and yoga. Some of these books like the yoga and its objects. So when we read them, we get into a mood and atmosphere. Like uh, yoga and its objects, he describes the later on what comes in synthesis as the four eights. So four eights, he speaks of that in yoga and its object that uh, according to Sanat Sujate, there are these four aspects, four eights which are helpful to a seeker. So when we have read that and we turn to this, here there is a great elaboration. So when we have tuned in, this is called tuning in, first we have to plug in. Plug in means read every day a little. It's not easy to plug in because all our... Uh, um, like you know when you go to America your plug-in systems are useless for that matter many countries and vice versa also so you have to have an adapter so we don't know how to plug in why because we are all the time talking about things which have nothing to do with those suddenly we get in hand live divine and then we are not able to plug in because the sockets are not there <laughs> we don't even know where the socket is uh, we are so used to plugging into food and Human beings and daily news feed, news feed, no? What is that? So we can't plug in. So sometimes things like, you know, a little bit of some work of somebody, somebody has written a little commentary, a talk here and there, they help us to just plug in. That's all. But go, back, go as soon as possible to the original. That is the whole purpose, even of these talks. It's not that, you know, one keeps hearing the talks all one's life. Read Shurabindu's works in the original, the mother's works. So, plug in. Initially, you'll find it difficult. Doesn't matter. Read a little. Mother says, read a passage every day. Keep the mind quiet. Do not try to understand. It's understood. We won't understand. Hajar volt ka jhatka. We won't even, we don't even have the senses to perceive it. Suddenly, Shurabindu says something and it's like, what has he said? Or sometimes even one-liners. All problems of existence are essentially problems of harmony. Now when we are not used to understanding what harmony, we, the person gets up and says, See, that is a problem, pointing to his wife. 
you are the problem creating disharmony in my life so we have reduced a very high truth to of course everything is problem of harmony but when you look at it in the highest sense it is the harmony between the each element of creation with the creator and all other elements within us and that includes us pinned the brahman which is inside the pin so the same passages will reveal new meanings so read again and again it's not a textbook where we have to just uh, pass an exam and okay we are done with it so one can read again and again and again and again the whole life is there i remember jugalda jugal kishor mukherjee who, who was the registrar in not the registrar in knowledge he was the registrar yes so once he was telling me Uh, he took after, i think he was in his 80s and then he said no i just want to now um have two years with myself two years so i asked him he was very fond like very beautiful relation so i told him jugalda what do you want to do now and now he was he had read shorbindo so thoroughly that when he would take a class so supposing he would say a passage from the life divine okay so he'll pick up a sentence he'll say cross references he won't refer anything this you will find it there in this work of shirbindo on this page written like this and then he will cross refer to another place that kind of brilliance so i asked him what do you want to do he says i want to now read shirbindo i said what is it <laughs> i said how many times you have read he said i have read 22 times why you want to read now oh i just want to now enjoy two years and i would see him with those that big um, glasses thick glasses you know put like this and read shirbindo and i met him couple of times he would be during that phase he was so happy because he's reading shirbindo he doesn't need to read he remembers much of it and exactly after two years one day sitting on the table he just put his head on the table and left his body what a glorious way to depart yogic departure with shirbindo and these are words which are luminous they are not just words of vehicles when we look into what should be the mother have said words are just vehicles that's why you see they are like capsules which can be devastating there are empires which have been lost because a word has been spoken at a point of time and it has destroyed a whole empire chanakya story one word it acted like a vehicle and he kept it inside that tomorrow i am going to return it back so they so these words we use so casually shubhendra says word is power mother goes on to say that there are different categories of words one type is which carry a power because they have been used through centuries and millenniums and she categorizes om under that category because for millennium people have used in india so the moment you use the word it evokes a you know beautiful feeling so and she says ki there are words which immediately put you in contact with the uh, highest consciousness possible because the word has been used to communicate that aspect leaving aside the vibratory rhythm and all that then there are words which have been uttered by people who have realized a certain state and the word is a means to communicate that state like a mantra that will again have a separate uh, thing on mantra and then there are words which over a period of time the, uh, there are words which can be charged by a person 
and there she gives beautiful example. She says when it is said, may peace be with you. She gives this example. She says you actually can create and surround the person with this atmosphere. Now, why this is important apart from its utility in everyday life. When you read Shurabindu's letters on yoga, somebody is very depressed, doesn't know what to do. And read Shurabindu's letters on yoga. And he, you read a sentence like, Remember that the mother loves you. Base your life on this one single fact. And all will be fine. Just imagine. Now, anybody can say, call the mother, call the mother. But when Shurabindu says, in all difficulties call the mother, it's charged with that intense luminous vibration. It carries a much deeper force than when, you know, people keep on saying this because, you know, they have to say something and they don't know. Of course, calling the mother in any case is so wonderful. But when Shurabindu says it's charged with that ultimate power, many such things, that what we have to always remember, be faithful to the light and the call, refuse to be depressed. When somebody says that, is it sure that I'll realize the divine? He says, it is much more certain than 2 plus 2 equals to 4. What do you say to that? He says, one who has turned to the divine and sought him is destined to realize it. Today or tomorrow. But it can be intensified. You can shorten, you can make it. Look at that famous thing. The spiritual destiny always stands. It may be delayed. But it cannot be cancelled. Just imagine these wonderful, powerful these are simple letters on yoga. It's not that, you know, people have this idea that if I don't read the life divine, I have not made an entry into Shurabindo. There's so many people. Of course one should read. It's such a wonderful book. But it's not that reading all these books are mandatory. It's not like a compulsory vaccination. <laughs> but it is the ultimate vaccine that you can ever find for all the virus that is floating around in the world. The perfect antidote, the sure cure of ignorance, of pain, of suffering, of misery, which we live in. And it's a pity that he wrote and wrote and wrote for us. And we do a namaste, keep them on the shelf. <laughs> and let it adorn somewhere in our room. So... Let me close. It's a subject which will be taking over a period of time. So today we'll close with this poem of Shirobindo. Seer, deep hearted. So this is a poem which is the perfect, I take it like an autobiographical poem. We'll probably read it again and then we will go into its length uh, in detail. But today we just want to read it because he has brought this for us which is durlab even for the gods. You know what the gods miss out there? They miss the Gita. They miss Savitri. They miss the writings of Sri So that's why they sometimes want to take a human body to experience what they cannot experience. So we'll just read. Seer deep. Because there is a dash in between deep hearted. So this poem as I said it's autobiographical and we'll read it in detail later on. Today we'll just read it at the close of this first session 
of a series of talks on Shirobindo's writings because they are infinite and um, no way that even a few talks can really bring out all these details seer deep hearted seer deep hearted divine king of the secrecies he is not just gone into the secrecies the king divine king of the secrecies this is the difference somebody who has entered and seen a secret is one thing he is the king of those secrets the master occult fountain of love sprung from the heart of god these writings are an act of love very often i say they are shobindo's letters to us he is telling us what your destiny is we go to all kinds of tota wala and uh, i don't know daru wala <laughs> to ask what is our destiny sir please tell me what will happen to me you go to shobindo says your destiny is you'll become divine that is destiny destiny is not what will happen to me after 5 years 10 years 20 years destiny is what i am destined to become so why is he telling us all this so that we have the patience the faith the perseverance to move on because that is a truth he has seen it's an act of love we know that shobindo wrote these works sometimes at night from night 9 till morning 6 very often directly on the typewriter and at one place he laments that if for nothing else he says i have strange disciples that while in every ashram people are busy telling their 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 master is god but my disciples are busy disproving <laughs> he says <laughs> and it tells it so semi humorously but it's a fact they are busy doubting to find something and then he says if for nothing else but the fact that I wrote the entire aria single-handedly, burning the midnight kerosene from night till morning. He is writing. He says, "For nothing else, this isn't it enough to qualify me at least?" <laughs> And while carrying on with all his other activities, which included eight hours walk, his work on the world events, all this he was continuing to do when he was writing. So, what is it but an act of love? He literally. i would say almost lost his sight to give us a new sight and we are not ready even to spend a little time just one passage not much occult fountain of love sprung from the heart of god ways thou newest no feet ever in time had trod you know ways nobody had gone there there he had gone no one had ever glimpsed those mysteries those mysteries he has seen nobody ever has said that man will go beyond man among all the seers i am speaking of people have imagined con- conceived the coming of superman in whatever sometimes very often in crude ways sometimes in logical way but here is generally we hear nartan paya bas human flesh that's the end of the journey now merge into nirvana and shobindo says no it is the beginning of the real journey new journey the game begins now until now it was all unconscious now begins the real journey 
Shabinda says that. So why he could say this? Ways thou knewest, no feet ever in time had trod. Words leaped, flashing. The flame billows of wisdom seas. So there is the sea of wisdom. What is known in India is Shir Shagar. Shir Shagar is the sea of superconscient light. Over which time is floating, carrying earth upward. And its heart is... The Mahavishnu, the eye extended in heaven. The Lord himself is asleep in the waters. So, milk, wisdom sees. And in that, flame billows, fire is emerging. Out of that sea of superconscient light, fire is emerging. And the seer is releasing it into the world. Words leaped, flashing. It is that fire, that superconscient, as he describes in Savitri, the message of the superconscient fire, the lyric of love that waits through time. Vast thy soul was a tide washing the coasts of heaven. So here is a seer whose soul carried within it a surge that went all the way to heaven and took away from there all the jewels. Vast in thy soul was a tide here. The word in is missing. Now I don't want to get into it. Why in should be there or not there. Either which way. It's understood. Vast in thy soul was a tide. Washing the coasts of heaven. So you know what is there in the coasts of heaven. All the jewels, all the nice things. He's bringing them. Washing them like you know on the seashore we have. The sea gives those gifts. Thoughts broke, burning and bare, crossing the human night. In the realm of ignorance in which we live, though we, of course, we, we are very wise people, right? Because we have done BA, MA, MBBS, MD, and thereby put more and more stamp on, upon our ignorance, sealed it with arrogance. You know, ignorance is not bad because everybody is in it, but ignorance becomes dangerous when you put a seal of arrogance on it. This is truth. So here, these thoughts break into the human night. See, the word break is so significant. It's like an army suddenly marching into the citadel of night. So he's using a word, thoughts broke. Like a shaft of light suddenly surrounds. Thoughts broke, burning and bare, crossing the human night. White star scripts of the gods born from the book of light. So, you know, they are star scripts of God. That which the gods speak among themselves, Shubindu has brought it to us. You know, that reminds me of that little joke of Amrita when somebody told him, you know, Sanskrit is the Deva Bhasha. So, Amrita was Tamil by birth and wonderful sense of humor, not because of attachment or something. So, he says, yeah, 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 that is half the truth. What do you mean? It is Deva Bhasha means when God speak to us, they speak in Sanskrit. But when they speak among themselves, they speak in Tamil. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can't understand. <laughs> it is a way of saying. How do God speak? Shubhinda in Chandanagar, he would see, look at, you know, gaze at the... Uh, space in front and someone asked him Motilal Roy what are you gazing he said the gods the gods 
all these gods, goddesses, the powers of the supermind, Dila, Mahi, Saraswati, they would come to him. He says, what about the gods? He says, they are communicating to me, speaking to me. What are they speaking? He says, that is what I am trying to understand. <laughs> so this is white star scripts of the gods. Private to the gods. Born from the book of light. Actually, in the, again, the previous volume, I find that word so wonderful, but it's okay. Here it is book of light. In the previous one, it is born from the presses of light. So like Soma is born, no? You press the plant and Soma is born. So there the word is presses of light. So when light presses, squeeze it, it becomes laser. But that's okay. I mean, again, not just in case some people refer to the old book, they'll find this little word different. I love that word, presses of light. It creates a kind of sense of power all through the poem. Book of light is relatively little milder. So, we can take a difference like presses of light is from the book of light. You distill and concentrate and that is given to us. So, white star scripts of the gods born from the book of light page by page to the dim children of earth were given. Page by page. Nothing is left out. And the irony is we say, oh, it's too much to read. The entire history of earth, civilization, creation, the entire understanding of our present moment of man and the entire destiny of man as he'll move forward. Of course, you can conjure it all in one word. That word, of course, is simply... It depends on how one looks at it. To me, it is Ma conjured everything because she is the origin, she is the path, and she is the goal. But all this is the revelation of that Creator as He has entered into creation and He is revealing Himself. So we can use the word God if you want to put it. And this entire revelation is there through countless volumes. And even this is nothing. When Shurabindo was asked, Sir, you have written so much. No, no, no. I have written only 10% of the knowledge that exists. Only 10%. When will you write the rest? Why don't you write the rest? Let mankind be ready for this much. If we could read even 1% of that 10%, life would be wonderful. Namaste. Namaste.